See, I know something that you guys don't know. So far, all of the songs we've played, I knew okay. There's a song coming up that I don't know. <laughs> oh, God loves us to make a joyful noise unto him. Um, I'm going to interview this young man. I know that there's many people in this building who do know who he is. Mm. But I'm going to give him the opportunity to answer that question anyway. And those of you who do know him from when he was a different height, um, maybe give him the opportunity to express who he is now because what you may remember is a young Dan. <laughs> and what stands before you now is, is a young man and a young man who's about to share um, from the Word. So, Dan, mm. tell us who you are. I'm Dan. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I've got my parents and my brother here. They're my family. I grew up with them. I was the only extrovert in a family of introverts. It was <laughs> hell on earth. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. For it was them too. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, who am I now? I guess I'm a passion. I'll stand here because that's in the camera. Is that better, Richie? Thank you. All right. Um, I'm an outdoor recce, an outdoor education facilitator thingo at a campsite, and I've got my boss here. <laughs> Jamie's my boss. Uh, and I, uh, every day I wake up excited to go to work and hang out with kids and put them on flying foxes and run activities with them and see the smiles on their faces and often the frowns on their faces when I make them say stuff in group settings and talk and get out of their comfort zone, but it's fulfilling regardless. And I study theology at Malian Theological College, and I play guitar, and I'm married to Ella, who is my best friend in the world. And I'm, I'm batting so far above my average, just like, just like Ireland this week, who beat the West Indies. I don't have much more to say about it than that. Um, but, um, yeah, and I've been at this church for 11 years. I've got blue hair. I don't know what else to say. It's not well, much see, to me. And this is the good thing. I had three questions to ask Dan, and he's answered two of them. Oh, maybe. have I? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> is is that? Two, no, see, the two. See, that, my second question was, what do oh. you enjoy doing, and what makes Dan happy, excited, or what brings life to Dan? And... Yes, my job else? brings life Your to job me. brings life to you. Not many people get to say that. I that, feel that really blessed true. to say that, to be honest. One last question for these guys, and this is for, for all of us. What is one thing that God has been doing in your life recently? Oh, what isn't he doing? Um, I think the biggest thing recently is just the generosity of everyone in the church and in my family. And Ella and I are young, married, casual workers, which is the worst possible mix of starting a stable life but everyone's been so generous and my parents have been so generous and and every week in church it feels like people are coming up and encouraging us and making us feel um, like we can do this and we've got this but yeah just he's been so generous to us um, both financially and in a whole variety of different things Um, so just really appreciating him working in that way and passing assignments that I do the bare minimum on and failing assignments that I actually try on don't know how, what God's doing there, but it's, that's what's happening. So, This is the, I understand what you're saying, 
you don't have any clue. It happened throughout my entire degree. As well. <laughs> you go, I nailed this one. And so, oh, okay, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So, can I pray for you before you start? Please. Father, I want to bring Dan before you this morning. He's about to open your word and, and he's about to share with us from what you have been teaching him. Uh, open your mouth and close Dan's. Um, give, mm. Dan, give Dan a sense of your peace, that he's been working with you on this and now it's time to deliver what you have been working on. Bless him and we love you heaps, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nat. Uh, let me get my things in order. Um, and good morning, everyone, and thank you for um, letting me share and thank you to Nat and Donnie letting me share um, while Donnie's away. So if I do it wrong, boo-hoo, Donnie, you won't be here to see it. Um, and, and I'll confess to you, I don't really know how this is going to go because I've never preached a sermon before. And so I don't really know what kind of preacher am I. Am I going to be the one that runs back and forth and makes the sound guys really annoyed? Or, um, and I always used to, um, I used to hate sitting in church or in different churches and have being yelled at by the preacher. And as I was rehearsing this, I went, oh my gosh, I'm one of those yelly preachers, because I was just getting excited, like I, I understand it now, like I, I, get, I get why they get all excited and that kind of thing, but yeah, I really don't know what to expect, so if there's any visitors here today, and this is the first sermon you hear at this church, I'm not the usual preacher, don't worry. Um, anyway, I'm, this, I got the idea, like I felt God telling me that there was a message for me to share um, and it happened to coincide with, I'm doing a, um, a young leaders development program in Queensland Baptist um, called Project 11. I'm doing that with Ella and Jordan and Brendan. And it's been really great going through. And one of the things you have to do is, is step forward in a, in a leadership area. And so it's different for each person. And for me, what that looked like was, was preaching a sermon. Um, so here I am fulfilling both that, but also with a message that I wanted to share. And we haven't done a Bible reading because I wanted to kind of keep it a little bit of a mystery and, and dramatize the first part of it um, to try and... I wanted us to come up with a blank slate because it's a passage we've all read a million times. Um, and I just... Yeah, I wanted it to be something that maybe we hadn't considered before. Um, and I'm going to try not to ramble because I also don't know what, if I'm a, I'm a script preacher or a not script preacher. So half of it is scripted and half of it isn't. So if I ramble too long... Matt, can you flag me down and say, hurry it up, speed it along? Thanks. All right, so what I'd like us all to do this morning, okay? We're going to go back in time. Can we go back in time together? Are we able to do that in our minds? We're going to go back in time, okay? So I want us all to imagine that we are Jew living in Israel, the Roman province of Judea in the first century, okay? Can we all do that? We all know exactly what it's like because we totally understand it. No, okay, I'll give you a bit, a, a few things to go off, okay? So currently... So I'm speaking to you all as individuals now, not as a group. So just imagine I'm speaking to you. Okay, you are a Jew and you are living under the oppression of the Romans, okay, who rule over Israel through the puppet King Herod and the Roman governor Pilate. Okay, so that's, what, that's kind of what's going on at the moment for you. Every day you get up before the sun has risen and you grab your nets, which are still wet from yesterday evening, and you head to your boat with your close relatives and you set out to sail on the Sea of Galilee to fish for the day. Okay. You catch just barely enough to pay the Roman taxes and feed your family with the scraps, possibly not even more than once a day, just once a day, possibly, depending on how much fish you catch, if the, if the sea is generous to you. Your daily existence is backbreaking. Okay, you work, you work really, really hard, and each day you become more and more angry at the Romans for taking away your land and your freedom and your money and controlling every 
part of your life. And you hope in the words of Isaiah. Okay, you place your hope in the words of Isaiah that says, there's a slide for the, behind this one, Richie. And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse, and a branch out of his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of Jehovah shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Jehovah. And his delight shall be in the fear of Jehovah, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither decide after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Okay? So that's what you're hoping in. So your hope is placed in this idea of a Messiah who's going to come, okay, that you believe will come, and he's going to destroy the Romans with a great army. Yeah, thanks, Brendan. You get it. Uh, and you're gonna, he's going to set Israel free, restoring once more the great Davidic kingdom and proving Yahweh's might forever. Isn't that exciting? Are we excited about that? He's going to kill all the Romans, guys. How great is that? Uh, here's the kicker. I haven't even got to the best part, and I'm already getting excited. Uh, here's the kicker. You believe you found him, right? You believe that you and your group of tight-knit outcasts, rebels, zealots, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, and all-around nobodies have found the Messiah, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. You believe that he is the one that the prophet Isaiah spoke of, and that to avoid being detected by the Romans, uh, he's pretending to be this homeless carpenter, uh, roaming around teaching non-threatening ideas about how to live the good life, all the while planning and plotting and scheming uh, the overthrow of, overthrow of the oppressive force that lingers in every corner of Israel. All right, that's the kicker. Are we excited that we found the Messiah? He's going to kill some Romans. At the moment, he's undercover, right? Jesus is undercover, but he's going to kill the Romans. He's going to, he's going to bring us back to, to the glory days. But you feel a degree of impatience, right? So a little bit of frustration too, because for the last three years that you've been hanging out with this dude, you haven't taken any land and you haven't killed a single Roman. And there's a sense of, when are we, when are we really, when are we going to do this? Like, when's it actually going to get started? What are we doing? And when is it going to kick off? All right. So it lies in the back of your mind, those thoughts. But you hold out, right? Because you've seen this dude do some impressive things. Right? And you hold out because when Rome falls, you want to be part of it. Then the unthinkable. You arrive for dinner with your friends and the man that you call rabbi takes off his outer, outer clothing, puts a towel around his waist, and he kneels before you to wash your feet. You, a sinner, a fisherman, a rebel, a tax collector, yada, yada, yada. You, he kneels before you and washes your feet. What? Who's this guy? What's he doing? Isn't he the one who Caesar will bow down to? Isn't he the one? Isn't he the commander of that great army that's going to fell Rome? We've seen this guy do some weird stuff. All right, we've seen him do some weird stuff, but this, this is too far. He's gone too, what? He's not the Messiah. The Messiah doesn't kneel before people. People kneel before him. What's he doing? He's washing my feet. I'm just a fisherman. I imagine that's how some of the disciples, that's what's, gonna, that's what's going through their head. Like, doesn't, doesn't, make sense, doesn't make sense to them. 
if we put our mind in that kind of setting of waiting for that destructive Messiah, the warrior, it doesn't make sense for us either. In case you haven't figured out what I'm reading from, we're going from John 13 verses 1 to 20. So feel free to turn to that. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Okay. It says this from verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. All righty. He had loved the disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Keep that in the back of your mind. The devil has already prompted Judas. Okay, we'll continue verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to the world. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. I think as modern readers in our, in our 21st century Australian setting, we don't quite grasp the way they did, how surprising this was. Right? This was very surprising. All right? So for some context, okay, back then, washing your feet was done as an act of hospitality when you enter someone's home. Okay? So these guys more than likely have been out all day on a boat. They smell like fish. There's fish guts on their feet and blood and stuff because they've been stepping all over the dead fish on the boat that they've caught, etc., etc. And you come into the house and it's just polite to, to wash their feet. Because it's like, we want you to be comfortable. We want, you, we want to be hospitable. Let's bring you into our space and make, you, make sure you feel welcome. And we're going to wash your feet because it's the dirtiest part of your body. It needs to be clean, right, to be comfortable. Okay. There are, no, there are no shoes that cover your foot. There are no, like, there's nothing. There's no insoles. There's none of that. Uh, it's just open sandals and dry dirt. Okay. It's bloody, dirty, fish gutty, all sorts of gross. Okay. And so this job was reserved for the servant of the house the lowest person in the house, or the slave possibly, if you had a slave. Why? Because it's kind of gross. Right? Who wants to wash some fisherman's stinky, dirty, fishy feet? Not me, okay? But the servant, it's for the servant, okay? Or for the slave, and they get down and they wash the person's feet. So in this act, what Jesus has effectively done is he's taken the posture of a servant, of a slave. That's the posture that he has right now, He's gone down on his knees and he's washing their feet. He's making himself a servant. All righty. Now, for us, knowing the whole story, because we've read the New Testament, we understand. We've read the Old Testament and we get how one follows after the other and the sequence that it follows. But we have to remember that the disciples, they weren't living in a new covenant mindset. They were living in an old covenant mindset because the new covenant had not been fully fulfilled. Jesus hasn't been hasn't been crucified and resurrected and Pentecost has not come. So the idea of someone of the upside down kingdom is unknown to them. So Peter, his reaction perfectly represents what their shock is. So it says from verse six, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. He protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Peter was so deeply committed to Jesus that upon seeing his teacher kneel before the disciples was outraged. He was outraged that he would dare take the posture of a servant. 
his astonishment is in the text. No, he protested. What do we think of protests nowadays? It's like holding up signs on the street, gluing ourselves to the, to the road, chaining ourselves to buildings. If you're a suffragette back in, I, I should know what year that was. I don't. But that's what he protested. That's a strong word. No, you won't wash my feet. So let's recap. Let's recap what we've experienced so far. So we, the poorest and socially low of all society, have hung out with this man for the last three years. The man we believe to be the Messiah. And we know we are not worthy of anything he has to offer. But we feel maybe just a little bit of pride, a little bit of self-righteousness. You know, we saw the Messiah first. We're God's chosen. We're the 12, right? The ones who have the greatest reward because our devotion and our commitment, we dropped everything for this guy. We dropped it all. We left our families, our homes. We sacrificed seeing loved ones die because of sickness. We didn't see them before they died because we were with this guy roaming around. They've given up a lot, right? So we've just had our feet washed by this guy. Right, this is not what I expected to happen, okay? I'm a disciple. I don't, this is, it's not like this is the first time he's done some weird stuff, though. He's done some unorthodox things to get his point across, Okay. So we're going to continue reading. This is verse 8b. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Okay. Well, I want to follow Jesus. I want to belong to him. All right. Let's entertain this thought. Wash all of me. All right. So Simon Peter explained, this is verse 9, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Wash all of me. If, you, if this is what it takes to belong to you, I don't want just my feet. I want all of me to be washed. Okay? Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. We'll come back to that in a second. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? And the disciples are like, No, nah, no idea. This is crazy. What's going on? You call me teacher and Lord, verse 13, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And they're like, man, this is weird. I don't know what's going on. He's asking me to wash each other's feet. I don't, I don't do that necessarily. Like, that's not what I do. I have given you an example to follow. This is verse 15. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master. Uh, Jesus, actually, masters are greater than their slaves. Sorry, man. Nor is the messenger more important than one who sends the message. Uh, actually, I mean, you can't seriously be saying that the messengers that take David's messages back when he was king are more important than King David. Like, it's King David. Come on, you're crazy. Uh, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the father who sent me. So Jesus is saying, I'm doing this to prove to you that I am the Messiah. So the disciples in their mind, this is the exact opposite of what the Messiah should be doing. And Jesus says, nope, this is the proof. This is the evidence that I am the Messiah. So that's what we're up to. I want to tell a really quick story. Okay, so this, we're going to go back to roughly middle of, like the height of COVID, imagine. And I'm scrolling through Facebook because that's what us Gen Zs do. 
Uh, we're scrolling through Facebook, uh, and we ca- I come across these photos, and I, don't, I couldn't really tell what they were because it's like on my little screen. I hadn't clicked on the photo yet to make it big because I'm blind already. Thanks, Mum and Dad, for the genetics. Um, I'm blind already, and I couldn't really see, but it attracted me to it because from what I could see based on the little, it was beautiful artwork, and I'm like, oh, man, I love, I'm a connoisseur of art. I would never throw spaghetti on Van Gogh's paintings. Uh, in case you missed that, someone threw spaghetti on one of Van Gogh's paintings. That's something that happened recently. Anyway, I'm a connoisseur of art. I'm going to click on them. And I clicked on them. And I'm flicking through these images. And I'm like, man, these are some powerful images. I don't know if they're up yet. They are. These are some powerful images. What do we have there? We've got Jesus. He's on the floor. And there's Judas sitting on the chair as Jesus washes his feet. And I'm like, man. That's big because we forget that. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him and he still washed his feet. There's a few more. There's a legion. They'll keep going. Just have a look at them while we're going through. I just want you to reflect on the feelings because the story I want to tell is that I'm flicking through these and I'm like, man, these are powerful. I love these. And I get to a particular image and I'm not going to say which one it was, okay? And I got angry. I was mad. I was like, no, Jesus, you didn't. This is a lie. This is like false prophecy right here. He doesn't do this. Alrighty. Nothing in these images changes except for the person in the seat. And I got mad at the idea that Jesus could wash this particular person or group of people's feet. That angered me. I'm guilty of a sin here, people, because I looked at an image which is completely true. All of these images are true. This is what Jesus has done for us. And I got mad because I didn't want it to be. And what I want you to do as you're looking at these images, I imagine that there's a fair few and some of them will make you feel the same way. Okay, because we know we we have to love, right? We know we're supposed to love unconditionally. But, you know, there's still some people that we go, I find that hard. I don't know if I want to. We've got some reservations. Jesus didn't have any reservations. He knelt down and he washed all of their feet. It was symbolic. Every single one of us, as sinful as we are, has had our feet symbolically washed by Jesus. So I want us to do a little, I had to check myself, right? Because I was like, man, I shouldn't be, like this is, I know it's true and it's making me mad and I need to figure out why and I need to figure out what I need to do. But I want us to do a little exercise. I want you to imagine that the chair that's up there Alrighty, is filled by you. And reflect on that for a bit. Just imagine the photo of yourself sitting down and you're there and Jesus is washing your feet. I feel like if we do that, we understand the disciples a bit more because we don't feel like we deserve Jesus' love and his servanthood. But he still does. He still washes our feet. And I want us to also, once we've done that, because I think it's important to understand that, that he's done this for us. But I also want us to think of that person. I want you all to think of, I know you can think of a person or a group of people or something in your head that you find hard to love, that you don't want to. And I want you to put them in the chair. That's tough. It's really tough to... To think of that person, we just find so hard to love and look at it 
and know that it's true that that's what Jesus has done for them. Even though they might not accept it, Judas didn't accept it. He was going to betray them. He didn't believe 30 silver pieces. That's what he got paid to betray Jesus. That's what, the, that's what Satan tempted him to do it for. And Jesus still knelt down and washed his feet. And Jesus said, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. That's hard. I think we have to understand the significance of this action. On a practical level, what Jesus has done in this, in this scripture, he's, so where John has placed this in the story, directly previous to this, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was a dear family friend, and before raising Lazarus from the dead, he was out of Jerusalem. He fleed Jerusalem because he knew that he was causing too much, like people were getting ready to kill, to kill Jesus. So he fled Jerusalem. And he hears the message that Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. And then he hears a message that he has died and Jesus has to debate in his head, am I going to go back to Jerusalem and, and be killed? Or am I not? But if, if I don't go, I'll never see Lazarus again and he'll be dead. If I do go, I can, I can fix that. And Jesus, out of love, goes back to Jerusalem and he raises Lazarus from the dead. This is directly before this. And Jesus is about to have Passover with his 12 closest friends, his best friends in the entire world in his, in his 33 years on the earth, his best friends, roughly 33. Alrighty. And he's like, I'm going to take this opportunity to have one last Passover and I'm going to make a count and I'm going to show them how much I love them by doing this. I'm going to show them. So on a practical level, he's just showing his disciples the love that he has for them. On another level, it's a representation of, about, of what he's about to do. He knows he's about, there's the last few hours of his life and he's about to be, to be crucified by, by the people that he came to save. And in that moment, wash the whole world of their sin. So it's, a, it's symbolic of the action he's about to do in a way that the disciples might actually understand it. If they just had him on the cross and nothing more, it might be a little different, but he's showing them in a very practical way who he is. I'm a servant. The kingdom is, is upside down. The lowest are the highest, the highest. Are low. They haven't understood what he's been saying. He's been saying these things, and they don't get it. Every time he tells a parable about the, the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, the disciples are like, what do you mean, Jesus? And he's like, you have little faith. What is wrong with you? Don't you get it? He's showing them practically. Different again, Alrighty. he's putting into practice his teaching. Right. He has to do this so they get it. He took the opportunity to love his friends for the very last time before going on the cross. Jesus isn't afraid to kneel down in the filth and do the lowest job to wash the feet. He's not afraid to be the servant. He's not afraid to to show himself, unlike other religious leaders of the time, to actually do the things he says. He's not afraid to do that. And then he asks us to do the same. And I think sometimes we understand that. And sometimes we sit there and go, I don't want to wash their feet today. It's hard to love them. They don't deserve it. We don't either. None of us do. It doesn't matter how insignificant 
we might think our sin to be, it's still, it's still dirty. We're still unclean, and we need to be washed by Jesus. What are we going to do? What are we as a church going to do for the people that we find hard? We've had a whole different, got to have a whole bunch of people up there. You know, we've had the addicts. We've had the homeless. We're doing it for the homeless. I love being part of Quantum Life because we go across the road and we make coffees for the homeless and we chat to them and we make them feel human again. And we've had pride up there. We've had the LGBTQ plus community. How is the church loving them? We've had the Pope was up there, like the Russians. How do we love them? Like they're doing this unspeakable thing. Everybody, everybody's feet have been washed by Jesus. And in our lives, sometimes we go home and we still don't, don't do it because we don't want to and we don't feel like we can anymore. It's too hard, Jesus. I think it would have been pretty hard to watch Judas' feet for Jesus because for the last three years, he's been one of his closest friends and the whole time he knew what he was going to do. That breaks my heart. My challenge for us this week is to put the person in the chair that we find hard to love and to actually go and do it. It's not enough to just say we love them. We have to show it. We have to prove to them by the way we act that we love them. Maybe for you, that's yourself as well. Maybe the person that in order to love other people, first, you have to be able to to go, Jesus has, has cleansed me. Maybe you haven't accepted that he has also washed your feet. Put that person in the chair. And by us doing that, like it says in verses 18 onwards, I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the Father who sent me. So if we go and love them and they accept that, they welcome Jesus. And they welcome God the Father through Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes in their life. Do we see what we can do if we actually put that person that no one has loved and that we find so difficult to love in the chair and actually do it. That's the challenge that I want us all to, to embark on because I'm guilty of it too. And, and I know it would have been hard for some of my surge leaders to put me in the chair when I was in surge because I was so annoying. And they still did it. And that's why I'm here now. By the love that Jesus followers shows, we meet Jesus It says in the beginning of John that in the beginning was the Word. The Word of God truly isn't necessarily just these words. It's Jesus. Jesus is the true Word of God. And by us loving others and them welcoming that, they welcome Him. And that's where we can see change in their lives. So in closing, that's my challenge for us this week. Just check those photos out too. They're online. They're by an artist. Um, Their website is called Salt and Gold. Um, she sells prints. She's from Australia slash New Zealand slash America. Please check them out. But put that person in the chair this week and think about how Jesus has loved them and how he's instructed us to do the same. I'll close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for Jesus and the way that he showed his love to us. In the way that he proved the kingdom of God wasn't like we thought it would be by making the lowest the highest and the highest the lowest. Lord, we pray that this week, as we go out, 
empowered by your word and your actions here in washing the disciples' feet, that you would help us show love to those people that we really, really find it hard to show love to. That we would be Jesus for them so that they can welcome him and the Father into their lives. Lord, we pray that everybody would be reached. The gospel is unconditional, Lord. No matter how high up you are like the Pope, no matter how low you are, to be in prison, whatever it is, you knelt down and you watched their feet because that cleansing was required for all of us and you showed your love to us. Lord, I pray for all of the people in this church. Maybe they themselves, even though they're here in church, haven't experienced that love. And we pray that you would show it to them as well. We pray that we would kneel down and wash those who are guiding us even though we feel like we might be not as good as them, they still need it just as much as we do. We pray that we would think of Judas and of the love that you showed him with the knowledge he would never accept the gift. And that even though we know this person might not accept the gift, that they would still welcome us and that we would wash their feet regardless. Be with us this week as we embrace this challenge. In Jesus' name, amen. And I have Nat Randall.